You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 103. Well, hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and today we are talking about expanding your reputation, reach, and results. When you've proven to your organization that project management delivers value, helping everyone to accomplish more and stress less, invariably more people are interested in developing their project management skills too. And isn't that what it's all about? So this shift is a testament to your good work that you've put in talking about the value of project management in the organization, and now they want to be a part of that, but also can present a variety of problems and opportunities if we're not careful. So if you're running a PMO, do you have the time to teach everyone yourself how to develop their skills from zero to proficient when they aren't necessarily leading the most critical and visible projects? probably don't have the capacity for that. But the payoff can be enormous for both the organization and your credibility and reputation in the organization as the internal project guru. So today we are going to talk about all of this and how you can accelerate your impact across the organization beyond the PMO and deliver outstanding results so that you can do what we're there to do in the first place, drive the highest possible return on investment for the organization's strategy. Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by Tempest Resource. Tempest Resource gives PMOs actionable intelligence, cutting-edge analytics, and real-time scenario analysis all while minimizing the overhead of managing a resource portfolio. Learn more at pmostrategies.com forward slash 074. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash 074. Check out their demo and learn a little bit more about how they can help you make a bigger impact. Okay, let's dive in. Now with me today is my dear friend, Dawn Mahan. She's the founder of PMOtraining.com and its divisions, the Project Guru Academy and the Project Gurus. Before leaving a project leadership role in the Fortune 50 in 2009, she was a Fortune 500 PMO leader, a senior business IT consultant, assistant actuary and biostatistician, And today she is an international speaker, award-winning consultant, and inventor of the Project Flow Process Learning System, which is so cool, by the way. It uses gamification, design thinking, and storytelling to make learning PMI's complex process fun. She coined the term Project Land, which you're going to hear more about today and in her workshop at the PMO Impact Summit in September. And her work has been featured in international press, such as Market Watch, Morningstar, Yahoo Finance, and others. She is the author of the upcoming book, Welcome to Project Land, The Project Guru's Ultimate Guide for Beginners. And she has a beautiful home in Florida Keys and loves chocolate with sea salt. Dawn, thank you so much for being here with me today, my fellow Floridian. I am so excited to dive into this really important topic. Thank you for having me, Laura. It's always fun to talk with you and serve your community. Our community, I'd say, right? Because we're doing all kinds of fun projects together to help ensure that every PMO leader and project leader around the world has everything they need to be successful. 
That's right. That's right. Yeah, we have a lot in common with that, right? Started a little too young, probably, in, in our respective roles as PMO leaders and mm -hmm. wish we had some guidance, wish we had us when we were back then, right? Yeah. So I love chatting with you and I'm excited about today's topic. Oh, thank you so much for being here. And this is going to be a lot of fun. So how about we just dive straight in? Does sound good? So right now, the U.S. is starting to come out of lockdown. And some other countries are kind of at various places in that spectrum as well. And I want to hear what you're thinking about with respect to the future of work for PMO and project people. Yeah. So many years ago now, maybe 20 years ago on the beach in the Dominican Republic, I read a book by Tom Peters and Tom Peters was talking about the future of work back then. And what he talked about was how really it's going to be more and more where people are really independent consultants and they go in, they get parachuted in for a project and they do their thing and then they leave. And so when I got really excited about that 20 years ago, I was working for another firm as a consultant. I love consulting. I love working with clients. And I thought, wow, wouldn't that be cool to, you know, sort of be independent? Well, fast forward, right? 20 years. And now I have a firm that it has independent project gurus. And right. So my thinking and what I'm seeing is that the pandemic has actually accelerated Tom Peters' prediction because what we've been seeing over our careers, Laura, too, is that there are mergers and acquisitions and layoffs and economic downturns and bubbles and all kinds of stuff, right, that's happened over the past 20 years or so. And so when people say to me, Dawn, I really want a permanent job, I just, I want to hug them and say, I'm sorry but there's no permanent job anymore. I mean, even the professors are under fire, right? With their tenure right. and so forth, right? I mean, even my teacher friends have to work without contracts, go on strike, this kind of stuff. It's nonsense. What I believe about the future of work is that project people will be more and more important over the course of the next 20 years because I see it, I see people starting to realize what I realized a long time ago, which is that, there is no permanent job. And so if you are able to embrace the idea of a project where there's a beginning and an end, it's something unique, you then you can't get replaced by a robot for that completely because it's unique, right? Like a robot might be able to do 20% of it and th that's great, that's helpful, but you actually have to use your brains. So right. I think that the world needs the project mindset more than ever. And that's kind of my, the case I'm, I'm making now. You know, and it's interesting because there are two terms for this kind of transition that we're going through right now that I think are really relevant here. One is the project economy and the other is the gig economy. And to me, they are very symbiotic in how they are driving the future of the kind of work that we do. And I think there is a really interesting and fine balance between outsourcing and pulling other people into your organization to help that may be in a consulting basis. So for example, I've always said, don't outsource your PMO. Now, what I mean by that is do not abdicate responsibility to a third party and then forget the most important part of this, which is bringing people with you through the change process, having some ownership and some accountability and making it your own, right? Then it's always somebody else to blame, somebody else's problem, some other perspective that we don't really have to own here because it's not our people, right? So that doesn't mean that you can't utilize 
contract gig resources to do PMO work, to do project work, but you have to still own it. And that's the nuance that I think that's really important to do this work right, whether it's at the project level or the PMO level, you can outsource the work, but insource the accountability and make sure that you have that kind of dynamic there. I think that's really important. And I do agree that that's where we're going because of the, everything is becoming a project because what is a project all about? creating change and what are we accelerating the pace of change and so you need professionals whose job it is to help navigate that change and help to deliver on the organization strategy in a meaningful way whether insourced or outsourced you still have to make sure that you have people that are trained and understand how to do that work and so i think you're you're pointing out something that i think is really important that we talk about now and into the future so that all of our impact drivers listening know how to prepare themselves most effectively. But there's something else you said I wanted to talk about before we keep going, and that is about being replaced by robots. So I think that there's something really interesting going on there, Don, because I believe that there's kind of this media fear factor where people are like, oh, robots are going to replace everything we do. And here's the thing. I think we are a long way away from the work that we should be doing as project professionals being replaced by robots. If we can use AI and automation and technology, robot or otherwise, to automate the work that we shouldn't be spending our energy on, the administrative overhead, that allows us to fully transition to becoming an impact driver and really focusing on where we should be, which is in building relationships, engaging stakeholders, really being there for the people that are on these projects, connecting with them and doing things that at least at this point, robots aren't able to replace us with, right? Let's be in a position where we're showing, we're working on the most important things that we should be working on, showing the most value that we can for our role and getting rid of the administrative overhead. We shouldn't be spending a lot of time on anyway. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, in one word, I would call that leadership. Yeah. <laughs> and and ro robots can't lead like uh, a, a human can lead. I mean, you don't, I don't trust a, a robot to lead me into the wilderness. Like I would trust a human that I feel cares about me to lead me into right. the wilderness. And that's what we, that's right. what we are as project leaders is we are leading people into the wilderness because the definition of a project includes that it's unique, which means in the history of the world, it's never been done before in this time or in this place, it's something makes it unique. So you are a pioneer, you are leading yeah. people into the yeah. wilderness and a robot can only do what it, the data that's been provided to it knows from previous experience. So I agree with you and I'm hearing about some tech that's coming along and a lot of people, and for years, a lot of people are like, oh, well, what tools should we use for our PMO? And you and I both agree with the like crawl, walk, run plan and that oh, isn't going to solve all your problems. And I mean, this is why, because, you know, the other thing you said was about the accountability. And I, I find a lot of organizations struggle with accountability and the PMO starts to hold people accountable, which gets really uncomfortable for the people that would rather hide and not do their work and still get paid for it. So there's that. But also yeah. I feel like what you're also talking about is culture. Mm -hmm. And what I love to talk about for PMO leaders is creating a healthy culture that gets results mm -hmm. that balances the human factor the healthy culture with the getting results, which is the accountability bit. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just fun to get results too. Like who doesn't like to check the box that you got that thing done or whatever, but right. it's better when you're like, oh yeah, we made an impact. Right. Oh yeah. Girl, you're speaking my love language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you mentioned about us having a lot in common and I think my impact drivers here know my story of building my first PMO back in 1999 and having no idea what I was doing, not even sure it was called a PMO and had to learn a lot of lessons the hard way. I'd like to hear your story and have you share your story a little bit from what it was like for you when you first started out in this space and how did you go about doing the work of expanding your reputation, the reach and the results, the topic of this conversation, and then that we're going to dive into much deeper in the workshop at the PMO impact summit. Can you talk about what it was like for you when you first got started and then talk about what things you did when you were in the organizations to try and accomplish this project kind of capability across the organization? Yeah, absolutely. I have to say that to date in working for somebody else, this was my favorite job was being a PMO leader. My 100% favorite job. I was like, I have arrived. This is my dream job. I'm so excited. (laughs) And I really was because I knew we were making an impact. And the situation was that this organization and the Fortune 500 had tried three times before to create a PMO and failed. And so we were going to be the fourth time and that's it. And when girls like us get a challenge, like nobody has done it before and like bring it on. Right. So, right. So we worked with them and and designed the PMO with them. So like you talked about, you know, the accountability factor and designing the culture, all that kind of stuff. And then what it felt like was at first, the guys that were in the organization, and I say guys, because they were mostly men, were feeling like we were taking their power away. Mm-hmm. So there, there were director level people and the fortune 500 had been in this place for like 20 years or whatever. They were wonderful, like respected, smart, fantastic people, but they felt like the PMO was taking their power away. And that did not go very well for them because the C-level person we were reporting into, which was a woman, the first C-level woman I ever worked for, mm-hmm. I was so excited about because as a young woman and a young professional woman, I was like, wow, so cool to yeah. see her in that space. And she was just awesome. And so in a closed door session, my colleague and I presented to her what the design would be for the for the PMO, what we felt would happen. And we were like, look, this is really a redesign of your whole organization if you want the PMO to work and here's why. And, and I showed her the picture and everything. And I said, look, you know, here's your biggest challenge. They're going to feel like we're taking their power away and, yeah. and they're not going to like it. And she leaned across the table and she said, if they don't like it, I'll find people who do. And that's exactly what she did. And so it was amazing. So she redesigned the organization based on our recommendations. And we started to lead this PMO to the point of like, it felt like an aircraft carrier. We were starting to, you get that aircraft carrier moving. It's a little slow moving at first because it's a beast. You get it moving and you get it turning in the right direction. And you, and in six months, I started to feel like the aircraft carrier was starting to turn in the right direction. And part of that was me being an evangelist for what we did. So I feel like the being a PMO impact driver is a lot about being an evangelist. It's a lot about 
saying the things over and over and over again. And what I heard from a great change management consultant that I used to work with was when you start getting sick of hearing these words coming out of your mouth, they're starting to hear you. They are finally yes. starting to hear you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, dang. Okay. Well, it's, I got to that point where I was starting to get sick of the words coming out of my mouth. And then I'm like, okay, maybe they're starting to hear me. And they did. And so there was a woman who was a great leader director who was rising and was one of those people that the rest of the people were starting to get let go, et cetera, because they weren't getting on the train mm -hmm. and she was rising and I knew she was great. And she came to me and she said, well, everybody's a project manager. You need to give all of us project management training. Mm -hmm. And at first I resisted that. Okay. I really did because I thought, oh my God, like we're finally getting to the point where they get it, they see the value. In that case, I was really grateful for her to say that, but I thought, I don't have time for this. I We're running the million dollar projects. We're under the microscope. A whole lot of people still want us to fail. And no, not everybody's a project manager because the real project managers are running the million dollar and above projects that they're professional project managers, right? right. But then I step back from it today. I have more, much more perspective today. And this is really who my book is meant to serve or the, is the non-project manager. These yeah. are the people who in that organization, the under million dollar projects, and I say million with air quotes, right? But the under million dollar projects are still needing to get done. Mm -hmm. And they were the ones that I was always worried about. The $50,000 project is going to turn into the $150,000 project because it, they're, we're managing it wrong. And of course that happened, right? But so as a PMO leader... When you start to actually prove this method works and people start to feel it and start to feel themselves accomplishing more and stressing less and you're getting those wins and you're evangelizing the wins and people are like, okay, I'm starting to get on board now. I'm, I want to, I want to learn more about this. Don't do what I did, which was resist it, embrace it. Yeah. That's my, that's what right. I want to share with everybody, right? Like, just be grateful that they're starting to finally hear you. And we can talk about how then you can address this because you don't have time for that. You're still, you're juggling all the balls that you have to juggle in the PMO, but you do need to address it because it's a great opportunity. Oh, that's a really good point. And today I am called in often by organizations wanting to build project management capability, especially for their non-project managers. And I remember back in the day thinking, well, no, we have project managers for that. Other people can't learn how to do this stuff. But what I found over time is that honestly, a lot of the people that didn't do it for a living found so much value in it. I mean, when I would go in and teach basic project management in organizations, I remember how excited the non-project managers were and how much they'd come back to me later and say, hey, you know that case study we ran where we were trying to figure out how to manage the project of getting to work on time and all the things that go into getting your day going and all the stuff we're doing now, it's changed the way I do everything that I do, right? And so they were so grateful and appreciative that they were seeing more value and doing more and they were happier with the results and the outcomes they were creating in all aspects of their life just by giving them some basic non-geeky project management speak kind of tools and techniques and methods for organizing, planning, and delivering work. And so I think we just need to say, look, not everyone needs to be a PMP or PGMP or any of the others, but everyone can benefit from understanding how to define the work, 
plan that work out, deliver that work with a specific focus on achieving the outcomes, not just going through the motions of creating outputs. So I found it to be very meaningful to engage in that kind of work as well. And just the ahas and insights and the light bulbs going off is just so cool to see because it can be pretty transformational. Shoot, I'm even trying to teach my 13-year-old how to project manage and having him build work breakdown structures when they give him all these projects at school. And of course I'm mom. So does he listen maybe half the time, but it's helping him too. So I think it's for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fact is that at one point or another, most people are drafted onto a project or they're asked to lead one. Right. Right. And speaking of your son, so let me ask you this. Okay. Throw you for a loop. Okay. Okay. What is your dream car? Oh, well, it depends on the day of the week. Sometimes I like to drive around on my fluffy clouds. So I love my Lexus. Other times I want some kind of a really ridiculous sports car with a convertible, of course, because we are in Florida. So I think it just kind of depends on the day, but I don't know how my son has anything to do with this, but I don't want to know where this is going. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right. So you've got your, we, you and you and I, right? We're in yeah. the in-stream car. I'm going to call it the McLaren. That's, okay. That that's, sounds good. Deal. Uh, all right. McLaren. Okay. So we're in the McLaren. We're in South Beach, right? We're rolling down South Beach with our hair flying and we're just loving this dream car. And then we stop and there is Grayson. He's 13 and he's like, mom, I really want to drive this thing. Of course he does, right? So now imagine handing the keys to your brilliant son. How do you feel? Not good at all. In fact, I'm mortified, terrified, and about to have a panic attack because he's my kid. (laughs) Right. And it's your dream car, right? So I'm worried for everybody involved. I'm worried for the kid. I'm worried for the car. Everybody, I'm having a panic attack. (laughs) Everybody on the sidewalks, everything, right? Yes, exactly. Absolutely. So, I mean, this, and I, I give this analogy in some of the speeches I do because I think most people can relate to that. Right. Like, and the reason I do it is because this happens in organizations every single day that a leader, whether they know it or not, realize it or not, they're handing the keys to a big, expensive, important project to somebody who is not ready. They're not They don't have the experience, they don't have the training, and they are terrified and they should be. Right. right? Because a lot is riding on their shoulders and a lot is riding on the team that's in the car with them, the people on the sidewalks, right? All that kind of stuff. And the sad truth is that most of projects run by people. Obviously, you know, when you use a car analogy and you say, given the keys to my 13 year old son, it's like, oh no, I would never do that. But this happens all the time in organizations. Mm -hmm. And the sad truth is just like you can imagine with the car. I mean, at worst, they're going to completely crash and burn the project. Mm -hmm. You know, at best, it's going to be a pretty bumpy ride. Right. Right. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I learned stick shift, I mean, it was tough. (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to admit, but I was 14 years old. Either. I was 14 too. The back roads of Pennsylvania. Oh yeah. And that's what I'm most scared about is that, oh my gosh, my son's about to turn 14. Am I supposed to be teaching him how to drive now? I don't know. I'm not giving him the keys to the McLaren. That's for sure. Well, that's a, that's a good plan, sister. Yeah. So, I mean, and this is why I call it project lands, right? Because yeah. we're talking about the non-project manager, even if they somehow avoid having a project dropped on their lap mm-hmm. okay, in their whole careers, it's really, really helpful for them to know how project land works. 
Right. Right. Who are the players in Project Land? How does Project Land work? It's a completely different world than operations. And I even right. had the same Fortune 500 company. I worked with this gentleman who I have total respect for. He he worked his way up from 18 years old in the mail road to the right-hand man of the CFO who was on MSNBC, right? Like, right. The, I mean, he had worked his way up over 30 plus years in the organization, total respect for him. And guess what he got to do? Hmm. The first time he was ever a project director was on my watch. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. So what happened was there were many times when he would assume that the rules of operations applied in project land and I would have to shut the door and I'd be like, what do you know what you just did? Like, I have to go clean up this mess now because this doesn't work like this in project land. So I coined the term project land because I started to realize that when you call it a place like with a capital P like Philadelphia, right? People are like, oh, it's like a different place with different rules, right? Of the road. Yes. Yes. It's like that. So for the non-project manager, these poor people, whether at the director level or not, they need to know the rules of the road. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the thing is that a lot of times I'll talk to project managers and PMO leaders and they'll say, well, they should just get it. They should understand. They should appreciate the value. They should just get it. Right. And we assume like, especially with project sponsors, we assume they know what to do out of the gate. And we put all these expectations on them that is really setting them up for failure because we didn't do our job to properly educate them, right? We didn't do our job to make sure they knew how to participate in project land, right? So I think that you have a really important point here that we need to remember as impact drivers that the way we're going to achieve the outcomes is bringing everybody with us along this journey and getting everyone laser focused on how they are contributing to or getting in the way of achieving those outcomes. A lot of sponsors, for example, don't even realize that, well, you're not showing up for these meetings. We have decisions that we need to make. And now we've pushed it out three times. So the whole project is behind schedule. And then we don't do our part to educate them and explain that that is the impact of their actions. So, and that's just an example with sponsors, same thing on these projects. And you were talking about basically throwing a new project manager to the wolves, right? (laughs) By giving them a new project without properly preparing them to be a part of it. And this happens in a lot of organizations. The unofficial project manager, probably that role is probably even bigger than the official project manager in organizations. There's so many people that are sort of kind of managing their way through projects, some successfully, some not so. And we need to prepare those people to be more successful. And I think that falls on us. That falls on the people that listen to this podcast because we know better, right? And so because we know better, we have not just a responsibility to them, but a fiduciary responsibility to the organization because we are investment managers, right? That's what I always tell project managers and PMO leaders to think about. Stop calling yourself a project manager and start calling yourself an investment manager. And you will look at your role differently because you have been given time, energy, money, resources, dollars to make a project happen. And so as a part of that, it is your responsibility. And if you're a PMO leader and even if it's these other non-project managers managing the work, we have a fiduciary responsibility to the organization to ensure that that investment is treated as such and helps to achieve the highest possible return on investment that it can. And so we have to look at it like, what can we do to ensure that investment is achieves that result, that ROI? 
And that means sometimes educating the people that are doing this work, as opposed to saying, no, 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 that's not our responsibility. We need to take responsibility for project management in the organization. And that's just, that's how I feel about it. So I love that you shared this story. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so with you because if not you, who? Exactly. Who else in the organization would you trust with that responsibility? I hope no one, because if you're the head PMO person or one of the PMO leaders, who else is the project guru in the organization that people can go to for guidance? Right. right? So I like to talk, you know, we have our division, the project gurus, we have the project guru Academy. And it's to me, I realized every organization needs a project guru. Mm -hmm. Every single organization that has any projects whatsoever, and usually organizations do if they're growing, then they need a project guru inside or they need one outside that they can go to on contract basis or something. But your people, right, exactly what you said, they, they need to be just embrace the idea that, listen, these other people are looking to me as a project guru, as their internal person that knows more than most people about that. And when you think about like my only other point on this, when you were talking, I was thinking about the pyramid. When we assess organizations, if you think about the pyramid, the tippy top of the pyramid, those projects, those handful of projects, maybe 25 projects, let's say at the most, even a big organization are the ones that the C-level folks really care about the most, right. they're the most right. visible, most important, moving the rock the most. But there are all those other projects in the rest of the pyramid when added up Mm-hmm. right? Can also make the whole thing crumble or make the whole thing move forward toward the right. vision even faster, better, cheaper, et cetera. So yeah, I, I'm totally 100% with you on your message there. So there's one thing though, that we have to be careful about, and that is making sure that we, when we take this responsibility and we have our call to arms to go deliver project management knowledge all over the organization, that does not, let me repeat, that does not mean shoving a bunch of project management speak at people and losing them in the language and overwhelming them with the stuff the templates, the tools, the process, the PM speak, because you're going to see their eyes glaze over and you're going to achieve the opposite of what you're going after. So it's about right-sizing it. And what's the language that you could, what do you call it? The language that you use around project management to kind of make it the non-geeky stuff? Yeah, non-geeky stuff. So just make it, you have to make it simple, practical, and results-oriented. You need the la- the, the layman's terms, right? You don't want to start right. talking about earned value on day one, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you would do that to people. But most of these folks that are the, the, the accidental project manager, the non-project manager, the person with the day job that has to run projects on top of their day job, these people, they just when they've talked to me and we've been brought in to help that crew, they're just like, Dawn, I just don't want to fail. Like, give me some practical tools, techniques, and tips from the pros. Like I want the pro tips, right? but can you make it simple for me and make it practical so I can do the things and not feel stupid and have it just help me, just help me. Right. Right. Like, and most of these folks, especially don't find the jargon helpful. So 
we've created this whole language that makes it much simpler to talk about, which is why I want it to be, and I think most of your people would too, and then you start to especially embrace the idea that, okay, yeah, I'm the internal project guru. How am I going to speak a language that these folks can understand and embrace? It's not about you communicating and sounding smart. It's about you communicating in a way that the person can absorb it, right? You're going right. to, you don't eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner all in one sitting. Right. You don't. And you eat it one bite at a time. And that's what they need. There's a whole, we know it's a vast discipline. We love to geek out, all that kind of stuff, but geek out with us, right? On the podcast. Right. Well, don't, don't geek out on them. They'll, you'll lose them. And when you're a guru, you have people who want to learn. That's great. And then you'll have the people, it's always a bell curve, right? You have the people that are totally resistant. Right. And then you have the people that really, really want to learn. And then there's the, I call them the finicky fans in between, kind of a nod to my Philadelphia roots with the finicky fans. But we have those people that are like, I'm going to watch and see how this goes before I decide which way to go on this. But when they see the results, they see the value and talk about outcomes a lot. Yeah. Then the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. Speaking of how we like to be outcome focused, I want to get your thoughts on some really actionable, practical, like what do we do right now, Don and Laura? Okay. This is great. I hear you, but what do I do first? Where do I start? How do I do this right? Cause you're telling me, make sure that everyone understands project management, but you're also telling me don't shove project management and speak at them. So what are some actionable, practical tips that you can share for our impact drivers to bring these ideas home in their organization. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is do what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Keep, keep evangelizing, keep showing the value, keep focused on outcomes. But then when someone shows up at your office or someone says, like the lady said to me, everybody's a project manager. Don't resist it. Be like, first of all, internally pat yourself on the back. And we are patting you on the back too. know that and ask them some questions, maybe, right? Have a dialogue about it. Like, tell me what you're seeing. What do you mean by that? How can I help? How can I best help support you? And if they start to say things like they've got some projects on their plate and they're not really sure how to handle it. I mean, we ended up expanding our scope of the PMO that we served beyond the division that was paying for our salaries because- People started to get, realize that we had a reputation for getting stuff done, getting stuff done well. And so we started to help them. So just when you, when asked, serve, right? Oh, I love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the first thing. And so it may start to naturally come. Don't force it, right? Just let mm-hmm. it naturally come. And then, but be ready for that response. Be ready to have that conversation because if you're doing a great job, I I believe it's going to happen. It happened to me. It happened to you, Laura, right? Right. Um, So, you know, be ready for that. And then just realize what you have on your plate. So what what I didn't realize was, okay, I, I didn't have the bandwidth, so I resisted it. But then I partnered with the training organization and many organizations don't have an internal training organization anymore. So if you, if either you want to respond immediately and you don't have time to build your own non-project manager curriculum, right? Or if you do, and you want to do that all in alignment, there are some accelerators, right? So just kind of be ready in the back of your mind for how you might handle this. You could go to your organization or maybe you have a training budget yourself that you can use for this, you know, and make the case, the business case that says, look, you know, I'm going to partner with an outside organization. 
to create, borrow, or and or customize a little bit the non-project manager training so that it is in simple, practical, results-oriented terms, and it is aligned with the methods we use. But I don't have time for that to take my, I don't want to take my energy off the ball of the million-dollar projects, if you will, and again, in air quotes, the million-dollar projects, you know, those biggest projects that are most visible to do this. But I feel really passionate about obviously helping people that want to learn, learn. And what So in change management, what I find is the people that are showing up and knocking on your door and saying, give me some of that green juice, right? You got to give it to them because then they, then you start to create these people who are going to help you evangelize. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right, And not, and not because you're telling them to, because they want to, like the person we were talking about before, Laura. Yeah. So So, it's a bit of a a journey, right? But if, when you're doing things right, which is why I'm super excited about the workshop that we're going to do in September, when you're doing things right, it's going to happen. And then what also just happens to happen as a side effect, which is awesome, is you actually improve your reputation as a leader. as the go-to guru in your organization. You get to evangelize the wins that are happening even outside the PMO part. That is the sort of traditional PMO part. It's that rest of that pyramid. You're giving them the rest of the organization, the tools and techniques they need to succeed. And right-sizing, I think you said it earlier, right-sizing is one of my favorite terms as well. Because let's face it, the PMBOK Guide 6th Edition has 49 processes. I'm already overwhelmed. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right? And and yeah. even to the non-project manager, remember to the non-project manager, when you say initiating, planning, executing, monitoring, controlling, and closing, you lost, they, you got, they got lost on planning. Yeah. Right. Right? So you, right. so this is why the, when I talk about creating ways, you know, all the ways that I wish I had when I was right. back in the Fortune 500 to teach people. This is why I created the project flow process learning system to, if it's like, if you're going to learn the PMI way, can it at least be fun? Can it be easy and fun? Can we use some gamification, please? (laughs) You're going to make them touch 49 processes. Can we at least make it kind of fun? (laughs) You know, there's that. And then there's the, okay, well, maybe we don't even in some of my classes, the, like my practical project management certificate class, in that course, I tell them, listen, you're welcome. I'm not going to go over the 49 processes. I'm going to touch on eight best practices. And mm-hmm. one of them isn't even in the 49 processes. It's select to the right project to begin with. Right. <laughs> which so, is missing completely. Which is missing completely. You know, that's assumed. Right. Okay, fine. It's assumed to already have been done, but it's not explicitly stated. Like it's important to select the right project to begin with. Well, we know what happens when we assume. We that's certainly right. miss things, right? So well, yes. we, we can't assume. And that's kind of the point of all this. Correct. Yeah. So there's a few things that I think of as kind of like the bottom line things that I want people to kind of take away when they're listening to this start small, start smart. It's an evolutionary process, baby steps versus a revolutionary process where it's kind of a big bang, kind of one and done kind of approach. Because what we have to remember as impact drivers, even when we're trying to put more very basic and simple project management process in place, we have to remember, it may seem like it's nothing to us, but to others, it's big. 
is change and they need time to absorb, digest, and incorporate the changes we're putting in front of them into the work they're doing in their organization. So we have to go slow, start small, and take the wins where we can get them, right? You will get so much further by taking baby steps and allowing them time to win at what you've taught them already than shoving so much at them that they're overwhelmed, frustrated before they've even started. So I think that's really important to remember in the context of all of this, you can be far more successful by doing less instead of trying to do everything at once. I totally agree with that approach. Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned your workshop before we wrap up here. Can you talk a little bit about that workshop and get people excited about as I am about what you're going to be talking about and going through hands-on with people in that workshop? Yes, I'm excited about it too. It's the first time I'm doing it this way for a PMO leader. So it's September 24th. It's the workshop on September 24th as part of the PMO impact summit. And we're going to be taking what we just talked about to the next level. Mm -hmm. So we're going to, I'm calling it Welcome to Project Land, plan to expand your reputation, reach, and results. We're going to spend an action-packed two hours where we're going to talk about the future of work and how you can actually expand your reputation, reach, and results in the organization. And so you're going to learn from me, but you're also going to learn from each other because I love having a more interactive session. And so you'll walk away with strategies so that you can be ready for that magical day when people are pulling instead of you feeling like you're pushing the value of project management. So yeah, oh, I'm, I'm pumped. Oh, I am too. I'm so excited. So we have a week long event, the PMO Impact Summit. If you've not registered yet, what are you waiting for? The main event is 100% free of charge and we'll have over 50 speakers speaking on various topics around PMOs. And I talked about that a lot in episode 101. If you want to check that out or just go to PMOImpactSummit.com, there will be a small fee associated with each of the workshops. Why? To make sure you show up because the only way you'll get the results is to hear all of the ideas and put them into action. It's all about taking ideas and putting them into action to make a big impact because that's what it's all about. It is the PMO Impact Summit after all. And I'm super excited to announce that any of the proceeds for those workshops that you're attending will go directly to Project Management for Change, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is changing the world by unleashing the potential and the power of project management to do good in our local and global communities. So I'm super excited about that. And I will give Dawn credit saying that that was her idea when we were brainstorming in my backyard about putting that workshop together. And I think it's a brilliant one. And as soon as she said, hey, why don't we donate it to charity? I was like, done. I already know the nonprofit it's going to. And it's all in our backyard and our home of project management. So make sure you sign up for the PMO Impact Summit. Join Dawn for her fabulous workshop as a part of the PMO Impact Summit. You can find out all you need to know about this event and register right now at PMOImpactSummit.com. Well, thank you, Dawn, so much for being here today. I really appreciate you so much. I'm so glad we found each other. We were connected by Mark, Mark Price Perry, right? That's right. Um, the man's a genius. He got the two of us together. We became fast friends. We both live in South Florida and look for every excuse and opportunity to spend time together in person in this crazy time. So thank you so much for being here today, Dawn. Thanks for having me, Laura. It's always a pleasure. I look forward to seeing everybody at the PMO Impact Summit in September.
And don't forget, this episode is sponsored by Tempest Resource. Tempest Resource gives PMOs actionable intelligence, cutting-edge analytics, and real-time scenario analysis, all while minimizing the overhead of managing a resource portfolio. You can learn more and check out their demo at pmostrategies.com forward slash 074. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash 074. Check them out today. All right, Impact Driver, that's it for today's session. I look forward to seeing what you have to say. I look forward to seeing you at the PMO Impact Summit. And there's so much more to come in the upcoming PMO Impact Summit preparation podcasts over the next several months. So the party has already gotten started and will be running from now through September 24th. Can't wait to see you there. Bye-bye for now. 